people have big expectations for 2015, right? Lots of people are excited about some different things. Some people are excited about some of the technology that's coming out in 2015. There's different things coming out, and people are like, oh, I can't wait to get my hands on that. I don't know if you guys have heard about the Apple HomeKit Hub. Anybody heard about this? Basically, Apple is trying to give you the ability to control like everything through your iPhone. So they want you to be able to control lights and outlets and appliances, your stove. Um, I heard today they're trying to figure out like a way you can use your phone on like the front door like to lock it and unlock it and all that seems creepy to me um but there's all different things you can do they're trying to hook them up to like gas fireplaces and just everything so that you can just at the touch of a button control all this stuff i'm trying to figure out how to make an app where you can like control your children you know be like you know please flush toilet now you know take laundry to hamper right i mean that would just be epic and kind of creepy so i won't do that but um some people are excited about movies we actually have some really great movies coming out this year we have the avengers next movie coming out we have the terminator movie coming out i understand that in real life arnold schwarzenegger actually is mostly robot at this point so i think that that's not not much makeup going to be used in that um Mission Impossible, new Mission Impossible movie coming out. Hunger Games, which I'm not really all about because I like when children live. Um, and then Star Wars, that's, a, 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 you know, that's just going to be through the roof. I can't wait for that. That's going to be fun. Uh, if you drive a car, you, are, you have big expectations that the gas prices will continue to fall. All right, this has been a great thing. Loving that. All right, now, I know there's going to be some haters on this one, but you can all get up and leave if you want. But the Mets, baby, the Mets. This is going to be the year, right? Expectations for the Mets. Um, when I was... Eight years old. That was the last time the Mets won the World Series. And uh, hey, man, expectation, right? And uh, I remember it was game seven was on a school night, so I wasn't allowed to stay up and watch it. But I was a rebellious little eight-year-old Met-loving child. And so I had a little radio in my room. And so I would like, every time my parents walked by, I'd pretend to be asleep, turn the radio down, and then I'd listen. And I never forget that last pitch, Jesse Orozco threw it in. The dude struck out, and the Mets won the World Series. And what they're saying is that it's all about the pitching, right? They had great pitching in 86, and apparently it's coming back. So we'll see about that. Um, some people have high expectations for the Jets and the Giants. Oh, no, 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 nobody does, actually. Sorry about that. Um, but I'll tell you this. If, if the Mets are going to be what they say they're going to be, I'll tell you why it's going to happen. It's going to all be about the changes they're making right now, okay? Because what's worked, you know, I should say what hasn't worked for many, many years now, they're going to have to be willing to take a hard look at and say, all right, if we want to actually contend, then we're going to have to make some serious changes. And that's exactly true for you and I. I mean, if, I don't know if the Mets will be good or bad. That could be just, everybody could be off on that. But I tell you, it all hangs on what they're willing to change. And that's true for you and I. If you're going into 2015 with expectation, and I think we should, then it all hinges on what you and I are willing to change in our lives. Because here's what we so often do. We go from year to year to year doing things the same way, expecting different results. Now, Albert Einstein is often quoted as having said that that's the definition of insanity, to do the, do the same thing over and over again and expect different results. Yet that's what you and I do all the time. We think, all right, this is going to be my year. Well, my question for you tonight is, well, what does God need to change in you this year So 2015 can be the year you expect and hope it to be. You see, that's where I think we struggle so much. It's like, all right, this is my year, this is my year. I'm I'm, I'm done, I've been through hard stuff. I've, I've had circumstances that have gone against me. People have hurt me, I've been stabbed in the back. And you know what, that might all be true and I'm not trying to take that away from you tonight. But here's what I think is also true, that so often we're looking at everybody else and what's wrong with everybody else and what, you know, circumstances were in our lives that were un- unfair. And, and we so infrequently look at our own selves 
and say, what about me? What in me needs to change? God, what do you need to change in me so that this year can be an amazing year for me? Because the truth is, a lot of us hold on to things year to year. We hold on to struggles year to year. We hold on to situations year to year. And then we miss out on those big expectations that God just may have for us. Some of us are our own worst enemy, and we don't learn from our past mistakes. Some of us have made mistakes year after year after year, and we're like, man, why isn't my life changing? And we're just not looking at the things we've done and seeing how they've kind of set us up to fail. They've set us up to be disappointed. We've, we've set ourselves up. It's kind of like we're the common denominator to our problems. Everywhere we go, there we are, right? And so we set ourselves up to fail. And man, just what if we were to, instead of being our own enemy, look in the mirror and say, God, what needs to change in me this year? God, what do I need to give to you? What do I need to let go of? What do I need to give away? What habit do I need to just present to you and say, God, would you change me? God, would you do in me what I can't do in myself? Because I want this year to be different. And that means I'm going to have to live different. Because any other thing is insanity. To go into this next year without a game plan of surrendering certain things to God and believing him to change them, then we're just going to keep on living the same cycle that we have been. So I say, man, tonight's the night we look in the mirror and we say, what in me needs to change? Don't think about your friend, your spouse, your kids, your parents, your boss. Think about you. What in you does God need to change in 2015? A couple weeks ago, my daughter said, hey, dad, can you help me fix the sliding doors? Anybody have sliding closet doors? I, I just, they should be outlawed in all nations. They're evil. They always come off those tracks. Like, I just hate them. And so I uh, am in there, and I'm trying to bang them back on the tracks, you know. And, and I had my arm, like, in the closet at one point, and Bryn's standing there. She goes, oh, Dad, I think we have to do is slide the thing towards your arm, and then you can get it back on. I was like, oh, okay. And I just thought I'd be a wise guy and keep my arm in there. So when she went to close it, she wouldn't be able to all the way, you know. So she kind of, like, closed it nice and Bryn-like. She's a little eight-year-old chickie, you know. And she kind of closed it nice and slow and it hit my arm. And I'm looking over like, like she's going to laugh. And instead of laughing, she just goes, what is wrong with this thing? And she starts slamming it over and over on my arm. And I'm going, Brad, honey, stop, right? And then she, we start cracking up laughing, of course. And then I went to the hospital. Um, and, uh, no, but it, it, was, it was crazy. But, but, but you know what? In that moment, I could have looked at her and said, Brad, what did you do? But the truth is, I'm the idiot that stuck my arm in the closet, Right? I could have blamed her, but really it was me, ultimately. Yes, yeah, she was kind of doing the smashing without realizing my arm was there, but I was the one who put my arm there in the first place. And what you and I are great at is putting our arm in the door, and while it's getting slammed, we're great at looking at the person doing the slamming. and say, what's wrong with you? Why are you doing this to me? Why is your arm in the closet? You know, and it comes through in so many different areas of our life. I mean, some of us are going, man, every time I hang out with that friend group, I end up doing something I shouldn't do. Man, I drink or I smoke or I get wasted or I, you know, every time I hang out with them, I end up doing something I shouldn't do and all of our thought is on them. If only they would change. What's wrong with them? Get their act together. Maybe you should take your arm out of the closet this year. Maybe it's time to find some new friends, right? Some of us, you may say, you know, every time I hang out with this friend, he or her, man, like we always end up gossiping and just ripping people apart and, you know, what's wrong with them? When are they going to change? When are you going to change? When, when is it time to take your arm out of the closet and say, you know what, um, I appreciate our friendship, <clears throat> and I'm really glad that we get to hang out, but man, we got to stop this. 
You know, some of us, we're blaming the internet for our porn struggle. Now, there's a ton of trash and there's a ton of ways to get involved. I understand that, and it's not cool at all. But we can take, take our arm out of the closet by getting some filters, by getting some strong accountability, right? So this is the year. What if this is the year that God wants to do huge things in your life and my life? But it really hinges on your and my willingness to say, God, change this in me this year. I give this to you this year. This is going to be the year I'm going to finally surrender this struggle or that struggle to you. I'm not trying to beat you up in this message. I'm really just trying to free us up to live in a place where we're not a slave to things that we really ultimately hate, and yet we drag them from one year into the next and keep thinking, ah, this will change this year. My question, why will it change this year? I think it's all going to come down to you and God, you and your relationship with him, and getting serious about the things in your life that are holding you back. Stop being your own worst enemy. Stop being the one that's constantly putting your arm back in that closet to get slammed again. So tonight we're going to look at a guy who, man, if there's anybody in the Bible I think that we could learn from what not to do, it's this guy. Because this guy just kept putting his arm in the closet to get beat up. He he didn't learn from his mistakes. He kept over and over walking down broken roads. And uh, I have to tell you, I try to remind you guys of this once in a while, and especially if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is really important because what you need to know about the guy we're going to look at tonight, and really the whole story we're going to look at is, it's pretty messed up. This is a messed up guy, it's a messed up story, and when you look at this story, some people, and I understand this, you could look at it and say, see, this is why I don't like the Bible, this is why I don't like God and church, because it just seems like this is a really messed up story, and yet here it is in the Bible. Like, why is that? Why does it God seem to be cool with this story? Well, he's not cool with this story. Let me tell you why it's there. See, there's these two different types of stories you find in the Bible. One is called descriptive and one is called prescriptive. If you've been around, I've talked about this before, right? A descriptive story is something that describes an event, but it's not telling you to follow it. It's not saying, hey, this is a great example for you. No, it's describing what not to do. It's there so you, you and I can learn from somebody else's mistake so we don't have to try and learn from our own mistakes. We can avoid that. A prescriptive story is like a doctor prescribes medicine and says, hey, take this, follow through with this. This is going to be good for you. And there, that's in there too, how to treat your wife, how to treat your husband, how to treat your kids, how to deal with anger, all that stuff. Prescriptive stories, ways we can learn from the Bible or from teachings or from stories. But the story tonight is not prescriptive. God's not cool with this story. He's not sitting there going, that's right, follow this guy's example. No, it's there so you and I will learn what not to do. And the amazing thing about this guy is that though he was his own worst enemy, there was lots of, you see lots of grace in the story. You see lots of second chances. You see lots of moments where you root for the guy and you say, finally, do the right thing. See, see the brokenness that sin has left you in and do the right thing. And we see even that God still uses this guy, even though he's a mess. And so we're going to look at this guy tonight and see the heartache that could have been avoided if just simply at any point in his life, he just looked and said, God, I'm going to give you this. God, man, if he had just looked in the mirror and said, God, okay, I'm going to realize I'm my, my own worst enemy. Everywhere I go, there I am, and I am the problem here. If only once he had done that, he would have saved himself so much heartache. And so this story is here for us to learn from so that we don't have to go through what he went through. And so when I mention the guy's name, you're all going to think of a certain part of the story that's really famous. But I want to talk mainly about before the famous part. 
Because what you know, if you've been in church for a while, the part of the story you're familiar with, it's really set up by years and years of the same cycle of this guy being unwilling to say, God, change me. And so I want to talk with you guys about this guy, Samson. A lot of you guys know the end of his story. But the beginning of his story is really powerful because so many times you can see in his life where he had, he had chances to submit his life to God and get things right and kind of get away from his Achilles heel sin and find some freedom. And so let me give you some background on Samson. Samson was called a judge. He was a judge for the nation of Israel. And the judges came before the kings ever came, so there was no king in Israel. So what a judge did, one of the big things he did was he would try and protect or defend the people from other nations that would come and do horrible things. And there were terrible nations around the Israelites. One of the the famous ones is the Philistines. They would come and they would just beat up on on the Israelites. They were bigger, they were stronger, they just could. And they would do terrible things. And so God rose up a judge and many judges, but the one we're talking about tonight, his name is Samson. And I know that as you read the story, Samson does some things that are kind of like motivated by his own desires, which would be wrong. But then there are some times God uses him to kind of push nations away from Israel. And so it's kind of confusing because on the one hand, he's doing wrong things. On the other hand, God's using it to protect Israel and really do what's right. I mean, I think back to World War II when Hitler did all those atrocious things to the Jews, it was right that people stood up and pushed him back and he lost power, right? That was a good thing. The world is a way better place today because Hitler and what he was planning on doing was ended. And so here, as you read through these stories and you think, wow, why would God raise somebody up to do that? It's because these people were really beating up on Israel who were kind of like the little kid on the block and God raised up some people to really protect his people. And so a lot of people think that Samson looked like, you know, early day Arnold Schwarzenegger or like The Rock, you know, just this huge jacked guy. And that's because God had given him unnatural strength. But to tell you the truth, I think he looked more like me, a lot more hair. But I think he looked a lot like me because if The Rock rolls up and does what Samson does, everybody's like, yeah, dude, the guy's jacked. Of course he can do that. But if I roll up and do it, you're like, God's with him, right? Okay. And so we're going to look here at some verses in Judges 14 and then a few chapters later here. And I'm gonna, we're going to read some verses on the screen. I'm going to summarize a little for us because we've got a lot to cover here. But, but here's what happens in Judges 14, verse 1. We're going to find out Samson's struggle. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. So he's a nice, nice young lad. Uh, but his father and mother said to him, Is there not a young or a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all your people that you must go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? Now his parents are pushing back at him. They're saying, Why can't you marry one of the girls within our community that are Israelites that know and love God? Like, what's up? Why do you have to go outside the camp and find someone else? And and really the key phrase, unfortunately, is uncircumcised Philistines. And everybody gets a little bit uncomfortable when you talk about circumcision in church. But just imagine how uncomfortable it was for them, right? And so... um, the key phrase there is uncircumcised Philistine. Why that's a big deal is because in this day, and I thank God this has changed, but in this day, if you were a follower of God, then you were circumcised. And if you were not a follower of God, then you were uncircumcised, okay? And so that's what he's saying here. And, and here's the deal. God knew that he was the only God, okay? And he knew that 
the other people would worship things, like I said last week, they would take wood and they would take stone and they, like, it's like me melting down this stand and making it into a false god. And, and, and these people would like cut themselves, they would sacrifice babies, they would worship these like fake gods they just made out of their own stuff from their living room, you know? And so God knew, you know what, I don't want my people to get pulled aside. I know if they marry people who worship false gods made out of wood and stone, that they're going to be tempted to leave me, the real God, and begin to worship gods that are just fake. And so one of the things he told his followers was, hey, don't marry someone who's not a follower of me. Not because someone who's not a follower of me is this bad person or they're less than you, no, but see, what's going to happen is, is you're going to end up going in two different directions. A follower of God goes this way, someone who's not may go this way, and so there's going to be issues within that household, and I love you, and I want you to have a good marriage, and I want you to stay close to me, so you know what? Don't go chasing after a Philistine or somebody else that may not worship a God at all or may worship another God. The Philistines worshiped a God named Dagon. And Dagon would have been carved out of wood or stone, and he was represented half man, half fush. Fush, you like that? Fush, yeah. Fish. And uh, so uh, Philistines here, they, they worshipped Dagon, and so this woman that he's chasing here, that he just told his parents so lovingly to go get him, um, this woman probably worshipped this god named Dagon, made out of wood and made out of stone. And so Samson's parents try to talk him out of it, and then the next verse it says this, But Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. She is right in my eyes. That's a pickup line right there, yeah. Uh, Guys, if you go up to a girl and say, lady, you are so right in my eyes, you're going to get two black eyes, I guarantee you, okay? Um, But Samson here, though his parents would try to talk him out of it, he just stays his own worst enemy, okay? And this is really his struggle. This is what he pulls year to year. This is his battle. This is where he compromises. It always has to do with women. This is his struggle the rest of his life. His lust for women really is his downfall. And if only here in this moment he would just say, all right, my parents are telling me, you know, be careful. I got to remember what God said. And and here I am like representing the nation of Israel as a judge. And I got, you know, this example here I am supposed to be. And man, I got to present this to God. Say, tell him I'm tempted, but, but God help me with this. If only he'd done that, but that's not what he did. See, verse 4 says this. His father did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. And so Samson goes after this girl. And this verse seems a little bit confusing, and there's a lot to this. This is a very layered story, so I'm doing my best with this. But basically... There's a part of this where it says it's from the Lord. You start to go, wait, so was Samson doing the right thing or the wrong thing? And my best understanding of this verse, after wrestling with it a lot, is that I think Samson was absolutely doing the wrong thing, but God used it still for his own purpose. And he does that in your life and my life every single day, right? We walk down the wrong road and do the wrong thing, and God still graciously says, all right, well, I'm still going to accomplish my plan. And so his plan was, even though Samson was doing the wrong thing, he was going to use that to bring some judgment on the Philistines who were beating up Israel, right? And so here's some summary for you. Here's what happens. So Samson pursues this woman, and there's going to be this feast leading up to their wedding. And at the feast, Samson gets into some trouble with some of the Philistine guys. And some of the Philistine guys, because of it, then threaten his would-be bride. And because his would-be bride is scared, she betrays Samson. And Samson 
basically is like that kid on the block who takes his ball and goes home. He just said, I'm out. And he just leaves his would-be bride right there at the wedding feast. And he goes home to his dad's house. And he kind of cools off and he goes back and he goes, ah, change of heart. And he goes back and she's married some other guy by that point, right? And so he's fuming. So he goes out and he burns all their wheat fields, all their grain fields, their olive orchards. They find out what he did and they kill his would-be bride to punish him. So then he kills them, okay? So this is a pretty messed up story. This is pretty bad. And God, like I said, tweaked the whole deal and used it to punish the Philistines and push them back from messing with his people. But man, Samson was a deeply flawed person, wasn't he? And so you have all these dynamics of kind of a mess of a guy, God still succeeding in what he needed to do, but still a mess of a guy. And here is Samson, and his own nation eventually gave him up, and and God was gracious and spared his life. And here's the moment, guys. Here is the moment where he could have said, God changed me. Guys, this is where so many of us are right now. You're right here. You're right in this moment. You're like, I don't remember killing any Philistines. Well, not, right, not exactly here, but, but you're here in that. You're thinking about the things you did last year. You're thinking about the things maybe you did the first few weeks of this year. And I'm just telling you right now, here's a moment where you can make a choice to say, God, change me. Change me. What do you need to change in me, God? All right, I'm not going to stick my arm back in the door anymore. What do you need to do in my life right now? And you know what, we're, we're, we're all rooting for Samson right here. We're going, come on, bud, just choose the right thing, do the right thing. I mean, you know, find a nice Jewish woman, have circumcised kids, get a dog and a Prius, and all life will be good. You know, like, just let's just walk down that road. But that's not what he does. Because in verse six, or chapter 16, look what he does in verse 1. One day Samson went to Gaza, where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. It's like, we all go, come on, bro. Didn't you learn anything? Gaza, it was a Philistine territory going right back to where you were. You're doing what you should never have done. Verse 2, the people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night, saying at dawn we'll kill him. But Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. He was pulling one of those deals like I did when I was eight, pretending to be asleep. And the guards apparently had fallen asleep. And then it says this, Then he got up, he took hold of the doors of the city gate, together with the two posts, and tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. So he's laying there like laughing, like these guys think their city gate's going to contain me. And he goes Schwarzenegger on the gate, right? And he lifts that thing and he escapes. Another time, he did the wrong thing. He could have paid for it with his life. And God had mercy on him. And he got out of it. And so here he is again. Second time, buddy. Second time. Come on, man. You know the brokenness it led to the first time. Now you almost got yourself killed again. Here's your chance. And again, some of us are right there. This is chance number two. Or maybe for you it's chance number, you know, a billion. And I'm guessing with, you know, Samson's track record, there are other times he probably did things he shouldn't have done when it came to women. I don't know that for sure, but I'm just guessing the dude was kind of a mess here, all right? And so, you're, again, you're hoping, come on, man, do, do something different this time. But verse 4, this is kind of some of the part some of you guys are more familiar with. It says this, Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. Now, the valley of Sorek was between the Israel and the Philistine territory, which means it was a place of compromise. And that's ironic, because that's exactly what Samson would do again. 
is compromise. Delilah was a Philistine and possibly historically even a temple prostitute. And he goes back to it again. Verse five, the rulers of the Philistine went to her and said, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. And so here's another woman who's gonna betray Samson. And just to kind of summarize this part, she tried over and over and over again Come on, Samson, tell me how you got your strength. You know, what is it? What's your secret? And he lied to her over and over again. And, and man, time after time, after he told her, oh, this is what my strength is, and this is what my strength is, the dudes would come in and try that and try to defeat him, and yet that was a lie, and so he was able to defeat them. And, and you'd think, again, he would learn so many chances for him to wake up. And again, maybe that's you today. Just so many chances in our lives to wake up and say, all right, I'm gonna stop walking down these roads of brokenness. But Samson doesn't learn. And so look what happens in verse 17. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I've been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. And then down to verse 21. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They set him to grinding grain in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow after it had been shaved. So a couple things we got to think about here. If you think about it, Samson lost the very things that got him in trouble. The first thing Samson lost were his eyes. That's exactly what had gotten him in trouble his whole life. He was taken to Gaza. That's where he slept with the prostitute. And what was he grinding? He was grinding grain, which is what he lit on fire when his would-be wife was killed. Isn't it interesting? All the pain, how, you know, it's kind of circular. All the things he did, all the things he went through kind of came back and bit him almost in order. And so Samson's story ends tragically as the Philistines have a great festival one day and they're all gathered under this one great roof and he comes out and a lot of you guys know the story and, and he's asked to uh, he asked to be placed between these two pillars and, and they're mocking him and, you know, here they are, the great, here he is, the great Israeli judge now, no eyes and a slave and beaten down and he just prays and says, God, give me strength to take this roof out and take everybody out in this building, myself included, and that's exactly what happens. There's so much pain and so much brokenness that could have been avoided. And it's because Samson kept doing the same thing over and over again. If he'd only learned from his own mistakes, if he'd only stopped and said, okay, God, what needs to change in me? Year to year, okay, I'm not gonna keep living the same way because it's just led to brokenness and sadness in my life. So God, what needs to change in me? You know, that's the end of his story. You know, I mean, if it was like a movie, you know, when the rubble off fellow's arm would have come through the pile, you know, everybody would have cheered. Well, they were all dead. They couldn't have cheered. But, but his arm would have, you know, it would have been like that big moment. But there's no great story here. It's just a descriptive story of a guy who did the exact opposite of what every one of us should do, but he did pretty much the same thing as what so many of us actually end up doing, right? It's just year after year, the same thing. What if you and I, this year, were to just ask a simple question? God, what do you need to change in me this year? That's my question for you tonight. That's what I want you to wrestle with this week. 
What does God need to change in you this year? What is it you finally need to lay out before him? And as I've been talking, maybe a certain thing's just been jumping out at you the whole time. Maybe it's a real big thing. It's an addiction. It's a struggle. It's, you know, some kind of, you know, a drug or an alcohol thing, or it's a pornography thing, or it's just, it's just, you know, that huge, that, that unforgiveness, anger thing where you haven't talked to somebody in years, and, and you just know it's that big blaring thing. Some of you may be knowing it's, it's, it's not like that huge, huge thing that is completely destroying your life, but, but you know there are some things, just some gossip, and, and just some things you've you haven't presented to God, just some purity issues and um, some compromise you're making here or there, maybe just some integrity issues at work or at home. And, and you know what? This is the year to present those things to God. Today is that day to present these things to God so that 2015 can be the year that you get free, can be the year of change because you're willing to change. That's the key in all this. For you and I to sit and wait, and go, all right, it's all going to change now. That's not what happens. You and I have to be willing to change. You and I have to be willing to surrender those areas of our lives to God so that he can bring the change in our lives. I'll just share with you guys one of mine. There's many things God needs to be working on me this year, but I know one of mine is just simply the way that I can get with probably the people closest to me. It's just the little impatient moments that come out. It's the, it's the way I can sometimes just respond to my wife or my kids. Um, you know, I, I, like I'm working on it. You know, and I told my wife this the other day. I, I, she asked me a question, and I, and I just responded really kind of quickly and shortly. And, and I didn't like scream at her or anything like that. You know, that was the day before. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but but I, I just, I just, it was just the way I said it. And as soon as I, like, I had to do something in the garage, I walked out, went to the garage, and I was like, I just did it, I think. And, and I went back inside, and I said, uh, hon, I think I just, and she said, yeah. She just went, yeah, just cut me off. Yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah. And she kind of graciously smiled and laughed. I said, hon, I'm sorry. Uh, take me back. No, no, I said, you know, I said, I'm so sorry, babe, you know. And in that moment, you know, there it is. It's just, it's just that little thing. But you know what? That little thing could lead me to, a, you know, that, that little change could lead to a great, great, great marriage. Or if I don't make that change, it could, it could spiral things into a terrible marriage. Just that little thing, that little way I reply to her, the, the way I reply to my kids or respond to my kids when something happens. It's just that, that little tweak of an impatient heart or a cranky heart. I come home and I'm just exhausted from the day. And, and instead of responding in love, I respond just with that impatience, you know? And so that's just one for me out of many that I'm just saying, God, I just got to give that to you. Change that in me this year. Let that be something that's different about me at the close of this year. So let me ask you some questions. Maybe you're not even sure what yours is. It may take some prayer and some just looking to God and saying, God, would you speak to me and show me what mine are? But let me ask you some questions. Maybe this will help. What do you need to learn from your past? Right? So you don't keep on doing what Samson did and, and the same thing every single year. So something you can learn from yourself. The smartest people in the world learn from their own mistakes. And even smarter people learn from other people's mistakes. And so what do you need to learn from your past year? What thing have you done year after year that led to brokenness? You know, I mean, if you're honest, you're, just, you're looking at an addiction, a struggle, an anger thing, an impatience thing, and you know it hasn't taken you anywhere good. So then maybe now's the time to surrender that to God and change. What do you need to look at with your full attention and with God's help not bring into 2015? You know, you've been carrying it year to year, but this is the year it stops. Do you need to stop going somewhere? Is it a place? You know, I've told you guys this before. I had a friend years ago. Oh, man, I, I was just a struggle, man. I can't go to the bar without, you know, 
drinking. He was like, well, stop going to the bar, dude, right? Where do you need to stop going? Do you need to stop seeing someone? Is it a someone? Is it a group of someones? I know that seems like harsh and nasty, but if it's your relationship and God or your relationship with them, then they got to go. It's got to be you and God. He's the priority in your life. Do you need to let go of something? Do you need to give away something? Do you need to get accountability for something? Do you need to ask forgiveness from someone? Do you need to give forgiveness to someone? I think we're all experts at looking at the person slamming the door on our arm. We're not so great at pulling our arm out. And so what do you need to, this year, say, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull that arm out. I'm gonna get it back on away from that situation. I mean, just an example. I know there was a guy, Matt Woodley, who was a pastor over at Three Village for a long time, and he told the story of a friend that he had that was praying for 20 years for her husband. And her husband wasn't like the worst guy in the world, but I guess he wasn't the greatest guy in the world. And their relationship was really up and down and rocky. And, and, and she was praying, God, change him, God, change him, God, change him. And then she said, after 20 years, it dawned on her. She needed to be praying, God, change me. God, change my heart. What in me needs to change? All right, he's not perfect and he's a mess, but I've been focused on him slamming the door. It's time for me to take my arm out. And it's time for me to say, God, what needs to change in my heart? And God changed her, and only after that really changed him as well. And so what in you needs to change this year? I know there's things in me. And I just know that if we would take this seriously, God would bring great change in our lives. And he would lead us to places that are rich and that are good. And it doesn't mean everything's always perfect, right? We all get that, and I'll be the first one to say that. But man, I think a lot of the brokenness and a lot of the weights we carry year to year can be broken off if you and I will just simply get serious about this and make this, make this our prayer. God, what do you need to change in me this year? So this is what I want you to wrestle with this week. Would you take this week? Would you pray this prayer every day? God, what do you need to change in me this year? And then have the guts to follow through. And it might be really hard. It might be really difficult at first, but I'll tell you, it'll be worth it. So if you're a Christian, I want you to begin to think about that and even pray about that now. If you're not a follower of Jesus, through this story, you saw the grace of God so many times. So many times God could have just put Samson in his place, could have just struck him dead, could have done so many different things, allowed the circumstances to end differently for him. So many different times in the story. There are so many chances and opportunities. And let me tell you this, in a book that was written you know, much, much later than Judges, thousands of years later than Judges, it's the book of Hebrews. And in Hebrews, Samson is mentioned, but none of his sin is. None of the mistakes he made. And you know what? That's the God we serve, is the one who looks at our sin and our brokenness. And we can all agree, Samson was messed up more than any of us in the room here, probably all of us put together. But here's a guy that God can forgive. Here's a guy that God can rescue. And so, my hope for you tonight is not just to get advice. We're not a church about giving advice. We're a church about pointing people to Jesus. And so if you need hope, I'm telling you, it's not you. I'm not telling you change yourself. I'm telling you, you need a God that can change you. And you need a Savior that can rescue you. And so I would encourage you tonight to put your trust in Jesus, to look to him as your Savior, the one that can rescue you and do in you what you can't. And so I'm just going to pray for us tonight. And I'm going to give you Christians a minute to respond. And then if you're not a follower of Jesus, we'd love for you to just pray a prayer. It's going to be between you and God. No, no, nothing you, know, you have to do after you pray the prayer. It's just, man, it's about you and God. So I want to just give you that time. But this year, this year, come on, this is the time. 
to learn from our past, to learn from Samson and say, all right, God, what, what do you need to change in me this year? Let's pray. God, we're all imperfect. Every one of us in this room has flaws. We all have things that we lay down before you tonight, God. And I just pray that we would be real enough with you that we would find great hope in your goodness, that we would find great hope in our brokenness being healed and put back together by your goodness. And so help us tonight, God. If you're a follower of Jesus, would you spend time praying about what we talked about tonight? God, what in me do you need to change this year? And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I'd love for you to put your trust in him tonight. And without twisting any arms, this is just something that you get to choose to respond to God now. And I would guess some of you are feeling that God's doing something in your heart tonight, and I would love for you to just respond to him. And and the great way to kind of start the conversation with God is just praying something like this, just silently between you and God. You could say something like this. Jesus, thank you so much that I'm not ruled out from a relationship with you. Thank you that you came, Jesus, to die for me and be raised back from the dead and remove my sin. God, if you can... You can rescue a guy like Samson eternally from his sin. Then you can rescue a guy like me, a girl like me. And so God, I just pray that you would do deep work in my life today. I pray that you forgive me for all my sin. And I thank you for this amazing gift of salvation. And so God, show me how real you are. Draw me close to you. In your name, amen.